This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen. Well, Easter week is upon us, and we are so excited. First of all, come on, give it up for the step team one more time. Wow. Now, tonight, as you heard, we will be having our fine arts, all of our youth that are in fine arts and all of the different areas, music, song, uh, dance, choir. Uh, they serve in many, many different areas. We highlighted one this morning, but I want you to come on out, be a part. Let's uh, cheer them on. Where youth are leaving the church around the world and in the United States especially, we have young people that are excited, excited to come to church and be in church and be a part of what God is doing. I want you to be a part of it uh, tonight. Hey, Candy and I, first of all, want to uh, just say it is so good to be back. We uh, went to Jamaica this last week. And uh, what a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal time. I don't know what's going on, but man, it's just like I'm still in the lights effect. Maybe they want me to do a dance or something. I don't know. That's not going to happen. But uh, we uh, had a wonderful, wonderful trip. One of our Jamaicans came up and said, you're one of us now, you know. And uh, I loved being, I just have to say, I loved being in Jamaica. So all of our Jamaicans, I feel closer uh, to you. Man, oh man, oh man, I loved it. I understand a lot more now, you know. I, I understand a lot more, especially uh, driving, you know. Uh, you know, I used to wonder, why did we drive like we do in South Florida? I understand, I understand a lot better, I really do. Uh, we uh, went into Montego Bay, went all the way up into the mountains. So I got to see the country. Uh, it was a phenomenal week. We went to partner with the Assemblies of God uh, of Jamaica. There's about 150 ministers that are there. They have about 90 churches that are there. They were having their annual gathering of all of the ministers. The ministers will come. They'll bring delegates from the church. Uh, all of the pastors, of course, are there from the different churches. They have a beautiful conference center uh, up in the mountains, seats 6,000 people, incredible conference center, Bible school up there. We went with two other uh, staff members. We went with Pastor Eric, our children's pastor, as well as Toby. They call him Minister Toby. Uh, Minister Toby uh, up, uh, in, uh, uh, up, in, uh, up in the mountains there. We were doing their uh, general council. I was doing their ordination service. Uh, for the for the gathering there, preaching. Now there is a rumor that's going around. I just want to tell you, it's uh, what's that? What do they call it? Fake news. Uh, there's some fake news. I've been accused of preaching an hour and a half. They said I preached an hour and a half. I, I don't think it's true, but uh, if you hear it, just call it fake news, right? It's just fake news, but uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, we uh, had the ordination service that was going on, and also we were sharing with them. They especially wanted to know about the encounters. They wanted to know about School of Discipleship, and the overseer, they call him the bishop of the denomination uh, there in Jamaica, has asked that 
we, Christian Life Center, would partner with them, that we would come in, that we would help them to implement encounters and school of discipleship across the nation in all of their churches. And so we'll be going back in June. The plan is to do a couple pastors' encounters in June where just the pastors will come. And then we will begin to train them on how to do school of discipleship so that then in the fall, we'll begin to do regional uh, uh, encounters with them and we'll just come in and assist them as they do the encounters regionally then the pastors will begin to implement school of discipleship in their churches now i'm not got to tell you i was a missionary for 18 years this is a cool deal and it's a great moment what a wonderful opportunity and it's because they see what god is doing in your life they see the fruit of the vision and what god has uh, just done among us and what he's going to continue to do they believe it's a Model for them, encounters, school of discipleship, and all that God is doing here, that it's a model for them. And they're asking us as a church, as a ministry, to partner with them. And so you'll be hearing a lot more about that. Uh, we're excited. It's good. Uh, it's good to be home, though, I've got to tell you. Uh, it's good to be back. And uh, we're excited for this week. Are you ready to get into the word? Take your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 14. We've been looking at different characters in the, especially the New Testament. We've been in a series called There's No Way. And I want us to say thank you to Pastor Kevin. What a powerful, powerful sermon last week. Pastor Kevin is one of the best preachers I know. I mean, he is incredible. That guy can sing, he can play, he can preach. It's not fair that he has all these gifts. I mean, I can do only a few things and I don't do them well. He does everything great. Kevin, we love you. We are so thankful for you. What a powerful word last week he brought to us on Nicodemus, and, uh, and I uh, had a chance to listen to that and was just stirred once again in my heart what it means to, to be a follower of Christ and the rebirth and what God does in us. And today, we want to continue one more week in this theme, There's No Way. We're going to be seeing a, a perspective of a woman who thought there would be no way that she would have this kind of encounter. There's many that looked at her and thought, there's no way she's going to do what she did. And yet she did. And on Palm Sunday, we're gonna look at what does it really mean in the final week of Jesus to anoint him and to offer him what he desires most and to see from her perspective. And as we do, I believe there's a message for us. Look with me here in Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, we see that Jesus is going to be anointed in Bethany. And it says in uh, Mark 14, verse 1, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were uh, scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leopard, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why 
this waste of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always be with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Father, I thank you for your anointed word. And today, as we come into this holy week, on Palm Sunday, today we look, we look at what was done in preparation that would provide for us salvation. And today I pray that you'll show us how this passage of scripture, as it's illuminated to us today, impacts our hearts and our lives. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Here we have this wonderful, wonderful story in this this scene where Jesus is being prepared really for the final week that would lead towards his crucifixion and resurrection next Sunday. We'll be celebrating Easter Sunday, the resurrection, and it'll be a wonderful time for us as believers to anchor our faith once again in what was most important for us, and that is Jesus came to die. He was crucified on a cross, but he was resurrected so that you and I could find eternal life, and that that we can all say amen because through that that Christ has done, we find peace with the Lord. And here in his final week, many would have been coming in to Jerusalem. They're coming because it says to us in scripture, Passover is just a couple days away. There was two or three feasts a year that they would come into Jerusalem. Bethany is really just a few miles from Jerusalem. You would go through, and it's the triumphant entry as he's coming down on Palm Sunday. You would come into the Kidron Valley through the Mount of Olives and make your way up to the, uh, the city of Jerusalem where the temple would be there on the Temple Mount. And there we have this scene that Jesus and disciples are having their final dinner and they're coming to this moment where, where uh, they're reclining together. It would have been crowds of people that was there. But in this moment, as they're reclining at the table, something happens and it's something that we've got to look at because it shows us and helps us to understand that, that she does something that speaks to every one of us when it comes to our worship. You see, when she comes to this moment at this dinner table, she's going to show us what true worship and sacrifice is. Many are coming to Jerusalem for one reason. It's not to worship God, but they were coming to remove their guilt their shame and their condemnation. Once a year, they would make their way. Several times a year, they would journey to Jerusalem, but one of those trips would be a time to come to seek forgiveness of their guilt, their shame, and their sin. 
every Jew. It was a law. They would come. And, and at this feast of pa uh, a Passover time, they were coming and they were entering in for a purpose and a reason. It's not to worship God, but it was to remove the guilt and the shame of their life. I mean, we have that. Even now, we have people that will come come only on New Year's Eve to start the new year or Christmas to come uh, uh, once or twice a year or Easter. But the reality is why are we coming? Why do we come to worship? Why are we entering in? That's the key question that you and I, it's the tension of the story and of the moment is what is my perspective when I'm coming in to a worship service or coming to Jesus? That's the key question that's got to be answered. In fact, why are we here today? Why are you tuning in? Why are you worshiping? What's your purpose when you come to nights ablaze? What is the reason that you come? Now, we talk about it a lot, and I hope that all of us constantly are realigning our purpose and our motive and our motivation and, and the reason why we come. And the reason is, is that we're looking not to get but we're looking to worship him and give our praise and our honor to him. Can I hear an amen? That, that the reason that we come together is not just to get something from him, but it's to give him, to offer him all of ourselves, everything we are, we give it to him. Because the reality is when we give our hearts to Jesus, when you, when you give everything to the Lord, you get him and you get so much more. But unfortunately, many come they come for what they can get and not what he's desiring. And it's what we can give to him. Here in our story, it's so powerful because we see that in this moment, she is coming and she sees what others do not see. The perspective that she had was a perspective that others didn't have. You see, when you look at the story, you begin to see that he's calling all of us to give and we can give what we have, not just in material things or that which is costly, but what we can give most of all is our worship to the Lord. In fact, I want to take you over to John. Turn in your Bibles or look on the screen with me. In John chapter 4, we looked at the story two weeks ago when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And, and I think it helps us to see most of all what we can give to the Lord and that is our worship to him. Look here in verse 23 of John chapter 4. There's a time that is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Can I hear an amen? See, from the very beginning, what God has desired for you and I, his intention is that we would learn to worship him and that he would fill the sanctuary with his glory and his presence. Today, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Today, his presence desires to dwell within us, to live in us so that we can know a communion with him that's never separated. That we don't just come a couple times a year. We make our journey like they would to Jerusalem to encounter him or to remove the guilt, the shame, but we walk in communion and relationship with 
the Lord. I mean, God never, ever, say never. He never intended that we would be Sunday only Christians. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That it's only a, a 30, 45 minute, or maybe the fake news would say an hour and a half sermon. It's never meant to be like that. It's journeying with him and walking with him. That worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a song that's sang. It's not just music that's played. It's not just a slow song that we enter into in the worship service, but it's something that comes from our life. It's a part of our life because we're coexistent with God. We're one with God and God is dwelling with us. If I were to say, what is the essence of worship? Worship is there is a surrender and there is a sacrifice that takes place when we learn to adore him and we allow his presence to fill us. And there's no broken in that relationship because we're walking in oneness with him. You see, when you were adopted into the family of God, you were adopted when you gave your life to Christ. When you determined to be a Christ follower and you surrendered your heart to the Lord, you were brought into the family of God. Now you're one with him. And when you come into union with him, a part of our worship is we learn to adore him. We give him worthiness. He is of value. You revere him and you're becoming one with him in your communion with God. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when our eyes are open. And that's what happens to Mary in our story is she has received a revelation that others have not received comes because she's learned who he is and she's learned to give him what he desires most and that is worship. Now we've got to ask the question, why? But out of this is this intimate relationship. If I could tell you what worship is, it's not the song or the music, but most of all, worship is a union with the Lord that you are becoming one with him, where two things that were separated are now being unified and coming together, we begin to worship him and we come into union with God. His thoughts become my thoughts. His ways become my ways. Can I get an agreement in the house? I'm one with him and therefore a lifestyle of worship is a lifestyle of walking in union with God that he shows me the ways to go. He speaks to me and I learn to listen to his voice. And the greatest way God speaks to us is through his word. Can I get an agreement? His word teaches you, it directs you, it guides you. When you don't know which way to go or where to turn, his word will guide you. He'll bring rhema revelation to the word. Rhema revelation is where I'm reading the word, the Logos word, the printed word of God, the word of old that's been written by the prophets of old. When I begin to read it, God brings a revelation in the moment for what I'm walking through and what I need to do or where I'm needing to go or answers that I'm seeking from him or prayers that I'm praying. In that moment, there's a revelation. It's like his light shines down and he'll bring a picture or a word or a confirmation into my spirit and he shows me what I'm to do in that moment. And it gives me strength in my fight against the enemy of my soul. Can I just get an agreement if you know what I'm talking about? 
Now, I've learned he can't bring rhema if you're not in the Logos word. If you're not in the written word, he can't illuminate it to you. You got to get in the word to walk in obedience. But when you're in the word, he illuminates the path before you. And that's the revelation for your journey. I'm on to something you can even realize today. You see, you're walking in a Christian journey as Christ followers, but you're up and down and you're struggling. And it's because we've got to be people of the word so that God can illuminate the path that we walk on and we're not journeying in a journey of our own, thinking we know where we're going, but really not knowing the way. God wants to illuminate it. And when we come into a place of understanding That place of understanding brings me to an understanding that my life comes into alignment with him. And then everything changes in my life. I've used the illustration before. If I were to have a canvas here with watercolor paints, and if I were to begin to write important things in my life, maybe I start on the very bottom and I write my, uh, you know, my job. That's important. My career, my, my personal growth, my finances. Of course, my marriage and my family is up in, up in the top area. But the most important thing in my life is Jesus Christ, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of my life. And I paint that on the top because I've done it in watercolors. Let's say I do it in red. It begins to drip down and it impacts everything else in my life when Jesus is Lord of my life. The drip begins to drip into my marriage. It begins to drip into my finances. It begins to drip into my pursuits, into my career, into my entertainment. It begins to drip in all areas of my life. Can I get an agreement? But the problem is people have written Jesus as Lord, but he's not at the top, he's at the bottom. And there's no drip into their life, the blood dripping through, the the work of Christ and the purpose of Christ. You see, worship is learning not just to lift our hands, but to lift our lives and to honor him. Don't miss this. You come to experience him, not for what you're going to get, but what you get to give. And what you get to give to him is worship in your life. You give it unto him. And when you do, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to give you everything that you need. Not be, maybe not the way you want it, not maybe the things that you want, but he gives us everything that fulfills the voids in our life. He gives it to us. So if we go back, We go back to our story here. In Mark chapter uh, uh, 14, we see that she, she gives extravagantly to the Lord. I mean, she gives everything that she had, I'm sure, to the Lord. Now, in our story, if we put ourselves into the context, let's be honest, we, we, we immediately take the woman's side of that scripture and that story, and we may immediately begin to think, why did the disciples not, why did they not see what was going on? Why didn't they, they understand what's going on in the story and what they did wrong and what they should have done? And, and, and the reality is we, we begin to identify with Mary in the story, but I think we got to pull back for a moment because the reality is maybe for a lot of us, we really, really maybe are more like the disciples. The disciples saw what it was going to cost. The disciples saw what should have been done. They murmured, they complained about it. They saw Mary and what she was doing. 
In fact, in Mark's gospel, uh, it doesn't say it, but in the other gospel accounts, it says that what she gave, she gave extravagantly, and it was added in that, that it was worth a year's wages, what she gave unto the Lord. Now, in that moment, it wasn't being given the Lord to use it in ministry. It was being, it was being uh, used to anoint him. The disciples didn't understand what was happening. And in some ways, maybe Mary didn't quite understand. But yet in that moment, she was compelled by the Lord. We would say, there's no way. That's a waste. Why did she give all of that? I mean, it was pure nard. nard. It would come from the Himalayan mountains. It would be used as a, a very, very core root of, of fragrances that was made. In fact, usually it would be that typically that would be used as a dowry or, or something that would be used in a funeral. It was a very, very strong smell of a perfume. I had the idea today, I don't know how I would have done it, but I had the idea that we would begin to spray perfume that you could begin to smell it through this room. But that's what it would have been like over the, over the smell of the dinner that night, that moment it would have begun to fill the room. The shock that the disciples and the others would have had as to what's happening here. Who is this Mary? What are you doing? Some believe she might have even been Mary the prostitute, but here we have, we know she's Mary. She's Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus. And in that moment, she breaks it and she begins to pour it on him. And as she's pouring it on him, the fragrance begins to fill the room. And we've got to understand the reason she did it was because she had a perspective that others did not have. Her perspective came out of the example of what she saw that the Lord had done. The example of him giving, his example of serving, his example began to shape her posture. And it didn't make sense to the disciples. They're saying, there's no way, what are you doing? It could be sold and we could feed the poor. But her perspective, was shaped because of an example that she had come to, to understand. And in that moment, it didn't make sense to them, but she was being moved in that moment to do what the Lord was calling her to do. And this is what I know is when God moves us, it's supernatural and it will cost. Love costs, love is selfless. Love of worshiping him and giving everything. No, the disciples did not understand it. It didn't make sense of the woman's extravagance. But from her, it was because there was a deep appreciation that was rising and she had a different perspective. See, Mary's perspective was shaped by the example. And it was an, it was an example of gratitude that began to move within her. You may think there's no way this shouldn't happen. It's, you know, the disciples are thinking, wow, what, what is going on? But when you look back and you begin to see what Jesus did was incredible. Here was Mary's opportunity. And man, I talk about opportunity a lot because I think sometimes we miss the opportunities. We miss the moments that we can worship and the moments that we can surrender and the moments that we can seize what God has for us. It's not just words on a paper or songs that we sing or just a sermon that we speak, but there's something that God is doing in our hearts. The question is, do we have a perspective like Mary? Do we see it? Do we recognize that opportunity that's there? 
before the hallelujahs would begin to be a prelude to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, Mary has an opportunity. It's a moment, it's a window of opportunity that's here. In fact, Jesus points out, he says it to those that are there, be quiet. He makes a point that opportunities come and go, but this is a moment you cannot miss, that she seizes what's most important. Now, pastor, where are you going is, I wanna encourage you, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the opportunities to worship him. Don't miss those times that you can come in and you're in a service and you can worship him and you can surrender to him and you can grow in him and you can make commitments to him. So many times we miss the opportunity. The power of the story is that Jesus, Jesus will become the Passover lamb. From the Old Testament, we know that the Passover was a time where they would celebrate, where they had been brought out of Egypt. And in that time, God had protected them, where the plague would have came across Egypt. And, 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 and God instructed the children of Israel that, that they were to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood on the doorposts. And when the, the death angel would pass by, he would see that sacrifice and he would pass over that house and they would not receive punishment. She is now recognizing in this moment, there's this moment where Jesus is now going to become, hear me, he will become the Passover lamb. He will become the one that will be sacrificed for us. And therefore there will be a passing over of punishment and judgment that we deserve, something that we should get. All of a sudden there will be a passing over. Jesus became that for us. So in preparation, yeah, give him praise. Hey, let me give you a chance. So in preparation, this, this Mary in this moment, she has a sense of the sacrifice. See, love forgets self. Love is our most precious possession. And in this moment, she begins to anoint him. And it's something that she's doing because she had experienced God's love and grace in her own life. Man, when you rewind, and it takes us to a second thought that I want you to grab. When you rewind in Mary's life, you begin to see that not only did she see the example of God giving and him restoring and him healing and resurrecting, but there was an experience. Her perspective was shaped by her experience. Now think about that. Her perspective was shaped by her experience. For you and I, as we experience the power of God, and the move of God. I'm telling you that power of God that's moving among us and what God is doing, we cannot take it for granted and it should shape everything in our life, our homes, our marriage, our family, where we go into work. When we realize his sacrifice and what he's done for you and I, there is something that rises up that it's a privilege for us to worship him. Can I hear an amen in the house? I mean, come on, he has passed over judgment in your life. He has forgiven your sin. He has set you free. He has delivered you. He's done something for you. And you've got to understand that from that rises a worship from us. And in this moment, I can guarantee you if Mary was here today, she would say to you and I, for me, it wasn't a sacrifice. 
Yes, it was one year's worth of wages that was stored up. That would have been what that would have cost. But for me, it was a privilege to give it to him because I was worshiping him. I was anointing him. It was a privilege. It didn't make sense. There's no way she's doing that. But yet in the moment, she realized what he had done and her experience led her to worship him. Led him to worship, led her to a place of surrender. It makes me wonder so often, What is my excuse? What is our excuse? Why do we hold back? Why don't we give it all when it comes to our our, our surrender and our emotions and our will? It's so easy to to think like the disciples and and to think uh, that was too costly, that was unnecessary, that's senseless. And they murmured among themselves. and, And as they did, there's always these questions that are rising up as to why we would do that. Is that what we should do? And and no, I can't do it. And yet for Mary, out of her experience, she shows us the love that she had for the master. It's a powerful thought for us. And it leads me to our last and final thought. I'm gonna invite our worship team to, to come back up. But Mary's experience leads to an expectation of what's to come. Mary expected in that moment, nothing in return, but in that moment of her experience, followed by this moment of anointing, her perspective is shaped and and there's an expectation of what's going to happen with the Lord. For you and I, I wanna encourage you this week to have an expectation in your life, to have an expectation. When you come into worship, have an expectation. Just like a farmer will plant seeds. He doesn't plant not expecting. He plants fully expecting that what he is planting, it's going to bring a harvest. My expectation is God, when I come, I wanna hear from you. When I come, no matter what songs are being sung and no matter who is preaching, God, I want it to grow my faith. I want you to show me how I need to come back into alignment. When I come, God, my expectation is one thing only and it's to exalt you, to worship you, to magnify you. Yes, there's needs. Yes, there's things that I'm praying for and believing for. But most of all, God, my expectation today is that I'm going to exalt you and I'm gonna come into union with you. And when I come into union with you, oh God, that you will guide, you will shape, you will lead, you will protect, you will fill me. There will be such a joy that will flow from me because I am one with you. Now, what must be broken? Well, my pride has to be broken. What has to be broken is is my resistance and my reluctance. It has to be broken. What has to be broken is this this arrogance that I can do it without you, that I know better. What's got to be broken? The vase that's got to be broken in me is a brokenness that leads to a humility. And that humility is a surrender and a yielding to the Lord think the challenge for many in the church today is we've made it something that is logical and it's about knowledge and content and the reality is God wants us to come into a place where we're experiencing him and we see his example of love and grace being poured out into my own life and therefore out of my experience flows an expectation of what God is going to do. 
I mean, think about Mary's experience. She experienced God's love, and therefore, there is an expectation that she could have. I mean, Lazarus. Lazarus was her brother. Mary is the one that a few chapters before would have said to Jesus, if you had only been here, he would be alive. How many times have we felt that way? God, if you had only answered, if you'd only done this, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? Why were you not there? Why didn't this happen? And we find ourselves like that. In fact, some theologians believe that in this moment, this was a moment of repentance for Mary because just a few days before she was questioning, why were you not there? And remember, we're reading that they're having a gathering, a gathering for Lazarus and, and they're having a dinner that, that he now has been resurrected. Jesus has brought him to life. And in that moment, Mary, some theologians would say she was coming and there was also this moment of repentance and worship unto the Lord. But there was something that she had come to realize and that was Jesus was in her midst. And he was there and as he was there, man, that love began to dwell up within her. As we come into this Easter week, I challenge you to go into it with an expectation that says, God, I'm going to experience you in a new and a fresh way. That God, I'm, I'm going to learn to yield more and more and more of myself to you. The greatest question I think I, that I can ask you or myself is are you surrendering your life to the Lord? Are you surrendering everything? Are you truly worshiping him, adoring him, becoming one with him? As we come into this, this week, the Holy Week, a lot will be happening, but most of all this week, it's an anchor to our faith. When you come into oneness with the Lord, you know, one of the greatest things that happens is there's a separation from the world. From the things of the world, there's a release that begins to take place and you begin to lay the things of the world down and you begin to exalt him and worship him. Releasing your time, your talents, your treasures. Mary had an example and it led her to worship him because of the experience that she received. And therefore there was a great expectation. Her perspective was so different because of these things. And this week, I challenge myself, I challenge us to embrace her perspective. Would you stand with me? For the next few moments, we're just gonna begin to worship. And for the next few moments, I wanna give you an opportunity to reflect on these words and on the story of Mary. And as you do, my greatest desire is that there is a yielding today. There's a surrendering today. If you're here today and you know that your life is not right with God, in just a few moments, I'm gonna step back up. And as I do, I wanna lead you in a prayer that'll bring you into relationship with the Father. But before we do that, I want us just to have a moment of worship together. Would you lead us? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. 
Now go and be messengers of hope.